Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for a good morning. Thank you for Sundays. Father, thank you for Sundays in December, which have our minds focused on the holidays. And the really climax of the holiday is the, the birth of Jesus. And thank you, Lord, that you brought us here this morning. We may be sleepy or, or lots to get done this weekend before Monday hits tomorrow. And yet with all of those different perspectives, God, we're glad to be here and we thank you. Lord, we, we ask now as we turn to the preaching of the word, the opening up of the word of God, that you would teach us. Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to convict us of our sins, lead us to repentance, give us faith that we would believe you and so live like it. We ask for you to do that now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We're going to get right where we just left off last week. I was not here last week. We were able to travel for Thanksgiving to see, see our families, and that was nice. We missed you all, and we were glad to get back. I want to say thank you to Jake for preaching in my absence. Did a great job. I listened to the, the sermon online. And uh, it's, it's, it's nice to know that Sundays are still happening here and worship is still going on, you know, whether I'm here or not. And I'm thrilled to know that, that Jake uh, wanted to preach even through the Gospel of Mark in Mark chapter 8 so that we're not missing a beat. We're moving right along. We're at Mark chapter 8 today, verses 31 to 33, just three verses today. You know, as I was with my family for Thanksgiving, we... Um, Got to see a lot of family. My mother actually had 20, 23 people over for Thanksgiving dinner. That was kind of a lot. Honestly, it was too many and had my dad all frustrated. And, um, but that means I got to see a lot of people. And as I tell you all often, I'm getting older. I'm 36 now, soon to be 37. And life changes a lot when you start getting that old. <laughs> life changes a lot when you start, start getting that old. My, my kids are growing up. Um, my oldest, J.J., is closer to high school graduation than he, than he is to birth. You know, that's a, that's a sobering reality. You know, um, I go and visit my aunts and uncles, or I see them, and you know, they're aging big time. Uh, I've only got one grandparent left. And the, my friends who have kids, now their kids are growing up, you know, uh, my sister has a kid that, while we were at Thanksgiving break, he was taking driver's ed classes. I remember him being a little baby boy, and now he's driving. And there's a phrase that you hear all the time when you start talking about little kids and how cute and fun they are is that, yeah, but they grow up. I know y'all have heard that one before. Because we love babies, we love little kids, and they can be so much fun but they grow up, and um, that's not all bad, is it? It's good to see them grow up, right? And we hope that we can enjoy every stage of life, but there is an aspect of that that means life changes. They're not always going to be doing what I'm telling them to do. They're going to grow into a mind of their own, and they're going to make their own decisions, they may ruin their lives. There's a real aspect to life at that, right? There's another real aspect of life that is life goes on. And the reality is, is that we really, we really grow up. And we keep growing up. And our lives end. That's a heavy thought. But our passage today in Mark chapter 8, combined with it being the Christmas season. You know, I often take December to preach away from what I'm normally preaching and preach Christmas sermons. And I may do that starting next week, but I didn't want to today because of what our passage is today. It's Christmas. We just sang about the birth of Jesus. 
The Advent candle lighting reading that, 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 that Dakota and Bridget read was about the birth of Jesus, Joseph and Mary and all of that, and we get that. Jesus has come, and that's what we're celebrating. But you know what? He, like everybody else, grew up. Baby Jesus grew up. And what happened to him when he grew up is very serious and very heavy. And you cannot celebrate Christmas rightly if you don't know the grown-up Jesus. If you don't know the dying Jesus. We're kidding ourselves if we think we can just enjoy life with our children when they're small. You're, you're blinded to the reality, if that's what you think. The goal of having children is to always be helping them advance to the next stage of life. Helping them be teenagers, helping them get married, helping them have a job, helping them age, helping them die. It's safe to say that part of what's happening in our parenting right now is preparing our children for dying. We would never really think of that, and we don't like to talk about it, but it's the truth. We grow up. And we really, really, really grow up. And Jesus did too. And so as much as we may want Christianity or Jesus without the hard parts, there really is no such thing. Read with me Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is a hard passage. This is a tough one. There are a lot of people in our world who aren't followers of Jesus, but they're cool with Christianity. There are a lot of people in our world who are not born again, who are not going to heaven, but they like Jesus. There's a lot of people who aren't the church that like church. And they can find a lot of passages in Scripture that they agree with. Give thanks in all circumstances. God forgives. It's passages like this one today that cause us to wake up, toe the line, and make some real decisions. I want to give you three points today. The confidence of Jesus... The confidence of Jesus' message and the error of confidence in ourselves. The confidence of Jesus, the confidence of Jesus' message, and the error of confidence in ourselves. Number one, the confidence of Jesus. Jesus here in this passage began to teach them. It was a good teaching moment, right? He had just done what many teachers do, Bible teachers. He's asked a question, he's heard the answers, and he says, let me explain. 
Look what just happened in the verses before. Verse 27, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Good question. Who, who do people think I am, guys? I'd, li I'd like to hear. Give me some feedback. And they say, John the Baptist, others Elijah, others one of the prophets. Well, then he turns to them, asks another question. Okay, I get what other people are saying. What about you guys? Who do you say that I am? He looks them in the eye. He, he gets point blank. Who, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ. That good answer, that true answer. You are the Savior, Jesus. And in verse 30, he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Verse 31, and he began to teach them. Okay? What Jesus is doing here is showing us that it is right to understand that Jesus is the Savior. But understanding Jesus is the Savior and therefore him being your Savior means you have to understand how he saves. What happens to make him save you? What you must be like in order to be saved? That has to happen. So if somebody says, who do you think Jesus is? And you say, I think Jesus is the Savior. That doesn't necessarily mean you're saved. That doesn't necessarily mean he saved you. That doesn't mean you're on your way to heaven because of your salvation. That means, why do you think he's the Savior? What do you mean by the Savior? Explain that. And so Jesus, when they say, you're the Savior, Jesus says, well, let me, let me tell you something. And he began to teach them. And Jesus is a great teacher. And he says, here's what he's teaching them. Teaching his disciples who have been with him now for a long time. They understand him. They've done miracles in his name by his power for him. These are the disciples. He says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus immediately takes their good, strong, accurate affirmation of Jesus' Savior. Their good, strong, accurate affirmation of Jesus' Savior in light of everybody else doesn't understand that, right? Remember, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say others, some say one of the prophets. Most people weren't understanding that he was the Savior. They were in the minority on who he really was. But they got it right. And Jesus didn't say, great, don't you ever forget it. Jesus said, let me make sure you understand how anybody is saved. Let me make sure you understand what salvation is. Let me make sure y'all are getting this. You're saying the right thing, but I want to make sure you know what it takes. Savior is a loaded word. It means that there has to have been a bad situation, a trying situation, a, a, a dreadful situation, a dangerous situation. If somebody was to say, you know, one time I was younger, I was drowning in a pool and somebody saved me, you could gloss over that like it was, okay, well, tell me more. But the reality is if you'd have been there that day, it would have been like the worst day of your life, right? When somebody says, man, a couple years ago I was in the hospital, man, they had me on life support, I couldn't breathe, I was unconscious, I was in all of this sort of stuff, and, 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 and somehow the doctor saved me, and now I'm here telling you about it. And you may be thinking that it's not that big of a deal or it's hard to put yourself there, but if you had been there, it would have been the worst day ever. They needed to be saved. They, it was terrible. And Jesus' identity here, his label, his name, is that he's the Christ, the Messiah. He is the Savior, and they need to know what that means here's what it means the son of man son of man is this label that that jesus used for himself to identify himself as as completely god and yet also completely man he identified himself with being god and he identified himself with being one of them he is divine he is holy he is in power he is unstoppable he can do whatever he wants and this this name son of man reminded them of that the name son of man takes us all the way back to the old testament in the book of daniel where we have this picture of of the one coming of the savior of the king of the one that is unstoppable and jesus here refers to himself as that and he just tells them that this savior son of man god man human born of a virgin this guy this holy one the one they've never sinned the one they're following the one they're committed to the one who's been feeding the thousands this guy is the savior and here's how it's about to go down 
he'd be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. In other words, everybody y'all know with authority and rank in religion. Everybody who right now is the authority. The ones when somebody says, I, th- I think I need to be baptized, the ones they go to. I think I need to talk to somebody about getting forgiven of my sins, who they go to. The ones when somebody says, I think I need to get married, who, who, who are they going to go talk to? The people that were in charge of the religious things, the people who were supposed to be the experts in the word of God. Jesus says, those people will reject me. And I will suffer many things under them. And be killed. If the peak is the confession of Peter that Jesus is the Christ, the valley is that that Christ would be killed by the very ones he came to save. killed, murdered, in a way that we wouldn't even allow here in our country, publicly nailed to a wooden cross to suffocate, suffer, and die while everybody's watching. Now, my first point is the confidence of Jesus. And there's one word that shows us his confidence here. In verse 31 it says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must do this. Must. He had to. He's going to. You're not going to stop him from doing this. He must do this. Now, some people may read into this that he's got to do that to show us the great example of what what godliness looks like. No. Some people say he he must do it because uh, uh, that's owed to him and he's got to do that. No. Why a must? Because there's a good, holy God that made us, that loves us, Psalm 100, our Thanksgiving psalm, showed us that that God says that we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. There's a God that loves us, our maker. And God made us that we would worship him. And all of us left to our own on ourselves do not worship him. God made us to worship him, and we do not worship him. And God has been from day one on a mission to bring his people back to him, that we would worship him. And in the climax of eternity, when we get to heaven, we will have what God has made us for, a group of people who worship him with no sin interrupting it. It will be all glory in heaven. But the way we get from what God created us to be and the way we get to what God is going to make us at the end, God completing his purpose in us, is Only through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. It's the only way. Apart from the holy God-man Jesus being killed on the cross and giving up his life for us, nobody, 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 anywhere, in any way, doing anything, will ever be right with God. He must die for us. He must He must, he must, he must. And anybody anywhere in any country living any way with any religion who thinks there's any other way to be right with God, at peace with God, made good, going to heaven, apart from the suffering, rejected, killing, rising on the third day, Jesus is mistaken. They're wrong. It's impossible. He must. And the reason why I'm calling this the confidence of Jesus is because Jesus is God and he's known it from day one one. That's why he's fearless. That's why nobody got in his way. That's why a few chapters ago we see him walk into a cemetery with a naked man who's like a barbarian who is scaring away everybody who has broken the chains that the authorities have tried to pin him down with and little old meek Jesus walks up to him completely not shaken. He's not worried about this. He's God Almighty. 
He walks up to the guy, and the guy who is a truly barbaric, has scared away everybody, starts to get scared himself of Jesus. Jesus is a man on a mission. He is God heading to death. And we can love the baby Jesus and be thrilled about this holiday like we are. In our house right now, we got so many little figurines, little people, Legos of baby Jesus. They're cute as can be. But he grew up. Jesus grew up. And it wasn't one of those stories like you and I know where I remember when he was a cute little boy, but now I'm just shaking my head at him. No, it got better as he grew up because he got closer and closer to the cross where he died. And the confidence of Jesus is he knew what God had made him to do. He knew what God's plan had been all along. Because he is God. It was his plan. He was in the beginning with God. It was his plan, and he had to get there. He must do this. He was confident. We've got pictures of him modeling this confidence. In the garden, you remember him praying. It tells us that he was praying to the extent of of sweat-like blood or blood-like sweat on him. And Jesus says, Father... If there's any other way that this could happen, let it happen. But if not, let your will be done, not mine. He was confident in the plan of God, of what God was doing. And what about another passage? It's one of my favorites. It's in John 18. It's when Jesus and the disciples are in the garden and they finally come to arrest him. John 18, they come to arrest him. It says that, that Jesus and the disciples are over here in the garden, and it says that the bad guys, it says Judas and the, um, and the, uh, uh, the, the a big, huge army of people, and they come with uh, lanterns and torches and weapons, it says, and they're coming at night, and, and, and you hear this big army of people, and so Jesus gets up, tells the disciples to stay there, and he comes over and he says, who y'all looking for? They say, we're looking for Jesus. Jesus says, that's me. Literally, Jesus says, I am, which we know what I am means. Jesus says, I am. When Jesus says, I am, the army people with weapons in hand fell down. They fell down. Imagine an army with weapons falling down to a man. They wouldn't. They'll fall down to God, the God-man. Jesus says, well, get up. What are you looking for? What are you here for? They said, well, we're looking for Jesus. And Jesus said, I already told you, I am. And if I am, then you leave my guys alone. Now, y'all do what y'all want. The confidence. They came to arrest him, and he lets them. As they make a move on Jesus to arrest him, Peter, being the big bad guy that he is, Peter steps up, pulls out his sword, runs over, leaps over Jesus, and swipes at the guy, cuts the guy's ear off. His name's Malchus. Cuts Malchus's ear off, and Jesus didn't turn around and say, that's my boy, you got my back. No. Jesus turns around and says, Peter, what are you doing? You think we want to fight these guys? We don't have to ever fight. We don't ever prove ourselves. God doesn't have to prove anything. He is. He reigns. He says, Peter, do you not want me to die? He says, do you not want me to drink the cup of the wrath of God? Which Peter didn't fully understand what was coming. But Jesus models a confidence like you cannot understand unless you know this. And Jesus says, Peter, get back in your place. And he reaches over and he picks up the ear of his enemy, the ear of his accusers, the ear of the buddy of Judas who betrayed him, who brought them there, picks up the ear, puts it back on his head, heals it completely, gives him his hands for the handcuffs and says, let's go. Because he's going to the cross. Because we need the cross. Because we need a holy God to die under the punishment of God so that we don't face the punishment of God. He's so confident. He is so confident. And I'm glad of the confidence of Jesus because it's the only place where I can be confident. It's the only place where I can be confident. And even though we like to find good verses that teach us to be confident, right? Like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This great verse, Philippians 1, 4, Philippians 4.13. Even that verse, which says, I can do all things, places the confidence in Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Which means, 
I've got no confidence apart from Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Or at best, I've got a wavering confidence. Or a confidence in somebody who's going to fail sometimes. But not Jesus. He's confident. He knew the cross was required. He knew the punishing wrath of God was what it takes. He knew being killed by his Father in heaven was the plan. And out of his great love for you, he said, let's do it. Let's do it. So Jesus grew up. He didn't stay a baby. I'm glad he did. I want to remind you in verse 31 that Jesus often, nearly every single time that he tells you he's going to die, tells you he's going to rise again. Every time that Jesus says he's going to die, he lets you know he's going to rise again, which is a further example of confidence. Do you remember in John chapter 10 where there's this talk about the shepherd lays down his life, right? And Jesus says it several times in John chapter 10. I think he says it five times in John chapter 10 that the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And in that passage, Jesus says, Nobody takes my life from me. Can you imagine the confidence in saying that? Can you imagine having a king and a Caesar and all of these people um, arresting you and beating you to a bloody pulp and then nailing you to a cross and having this idea of the one that you're killing say to you, you're not taking my life from me. I'm laying it down. And there's this image of these guys like nailing with a big old hammer the nails into Jesus' hand saying, yeah, right. If you're really God, why don't you stop us? And the Bible tells us that they did mock him in that way, right? They were laughing at him. And yet the confidence of Jesus is, I'm telling you guys, you're not so much killing me as I'm allowing you to kill me. You're not so much taking my life as I'm laying down my life. Because that's what it takes. Because that's the only place salvation is found. But not just was Jesus confident. There is a confidence that you and I are to have in Jesus' message. Look what it says right after that in verse 32. And he said this plainly. What does plain mean? Basic, simple, nothing to it. You know, we go to Krispy Kreme Donuts sometimes, and we like to look there, and they've got all the special ones. You could probably get you a Santa Donut right now or crispy, I mean, a Christmas tree donut right now. And you walk in there, you know, and the kids are like, oh, I want this one, I want that one. And which way everyone's got the most colors and the most sprinkles and the most icing is the one they want. But all of us adults know that the plain ones are better. They can't even finish a one that's covered in all that icing. It's too sweet. But the plains are just so good. Plain means it's not confusing. It's not overdone. It's not too much. Jesus spoke to them. He was teaching them about his dying, about his being the Savior, very clearly. Listen, I don't know if you've ever read books before. I don't know how long you've been in church. I don't know if you've ever read the Bible. But I bet there's not a person here confused about what verse 31 says. I just spent 20 minutes on it. Jesus must be killed. Can't be confused on it. Plain as day. Who do people say that I am? They say you're one of these. Who do you say that I am? You're the Savior. Okay, well, let me teach you something about the Savior. The Son of Man must be rejected. He must suffer a lot, and then he must be killed. And everybody here gets that. And he wanted them to get that. He spoke plainly about it. The confidence of Jesus' message is that it takes God dying for us for us to be right with God. So then the next question is, have you reoriented your life have you redirected your life 
toward the work of Jesus in order to be identified with Jesus. Are you a child of God means have you embraced all that he just said? If you want to have Jesus as Savior, but you don't want to have Jesus' message of, I must die for you, then you don't have him as Savior. There is confidence in this message. There is great confidence in the message of Jesus. And I want us to see that this is consistent with the Bible. One of the things that I love to say, especially if I know we've got new people around, or anytime I get asked to preach at like a, a school or a different church or whatever, I love to say that we hear all the time that the Bible's hard to read and it's confusing and I just don't know where to start and I don't get anything out of it and all of that. And that's, you may be right. But there's also so much in there that is simple and plain. If you're trying to know it, you can. If you're wanting to understand it, you will. He said this plainly to them. Now, what this really is getting at is that so often Jesus taught with parables, didn't he? There were so many times where Jesus would teach something and everybody would go, what, what's he talking about? I don't, I don't get it. Can you, can you explain it, right? You remember just a couple verses before at... Um, uh, look at verse 14 and 15. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Like, what? All of a sudden, Jesus says, y y watch out for that leaven of those guys. And everybody's like, what's he talking about? And he had to explain to them, Matthew tells us, that he had to explain to them that he was referring to what they taught. He said, watch out for the things they teach. Well, how did he say that? He said, beware of the leaven. You see, sometimes this is like a little bit hard to understand. But then sometimes he speaks plainly. If you're here today and you're not sure about being a Christian, if you're here today and you're considering being a Christian, if you're here today and you realize that the world is less and less in favor of Christianity, let me make it clear for you. Jesus loves you in such a way that he died for your sins. But to get Jesus, you must then respond back to him saying, God, forgive me of my sins. He loves you. He died for you. He had to die for you. And if you believe that, you respond back to him saying, these sins and these sins and these sins and these sins and all these sins I've got, I ask you to forgive them, God, because you died for me. I don't like them. I don't want to do them. I want you to help me with them. Forgive me of them. That's his message. And we have confidence in his message. Let me read to you just a, a couple of great passages in Scripture that will boost your confidence in the message of Jesus. These are several passages that are easy for you. If you take notes, write these down. 1 John chapter 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's plain. That's plain talk. Or what about this one? Probably one of your absolute favorites. But I'm going to add a couple verses. John 3, 16, 17, and 18. Just listen to this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Listen, might be saved, okay? How do I get saved, right? Our passage in Mark 8 says that he's the Savior, okay? How do I get him as the Savior? Here it says, might be saved, okay? How do I get him as the Savior? Verse 18, plain as day. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But listen to me. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Right now. Why are they condemned already? Well, he's not done. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Plain. Plain, plain, plain. 
It's in Jesus or you don't have it. It's in Jesus and what he's done or you don't have it. It's in the Savior who died for us. I'll read one more passage. And this will wake you up a little bit. This is Revelation 21, the second to last page of the entire Bible. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now look at verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers and the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Move over to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city they're talking about is heaven. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring it into the glory and the honor of the nations. Verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. When you start reading the Bible, the message of Jesus is plain. You get connected to him by forgiveness or you don't know God. The work of Jesus is what brings us to God. The confidence that we have in Jesus' message. Now, if we believe that the Son of Man must suffer and get rejected and then die, then we have a place in our lives. And this is going to be real practical for you all. I think this is going to be the best thing for you all to hear today as far as practically. We have a place for our lives now for those categories. And in all honesty, I think our lives are proving it. If you don't embrace Jesus as Savior, you don't have a place for those categories. Three things, suffering, rejection, and death. Why do you suffer? How do you understand it? What comforts you? Is there any hope? How do you deal with rejection? How do you deal with rejection? How do you handle it? What confidence do you have? How do you overcome it? Death. How do you deal with death? How are you going to survive when he or she passes away? How are you going to keep going? Bigger than that, where are you going when you die? Where are you going and where are they going? If you're talking about the Savior, he's already opened the conversation. He's having a good old time with the disciples. There ain't nothing bad going on there. Who do people say that I am? Da, 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 da. Who do you say that I am? I say you're the Savior. Well, you're right. Well, let me teach you something. And he opens up the categories that nobody wants to talk about. If you tried to bring up those categories at Thanksgiving dinner, people would have said, come on, not today, man. We're just trying to be thankful today. Listen, your friends and family don't have categories for those. And so they put it off and put it off and put it off and put it off. And I don't have a place to talk about suffering. And I don't have a place to talk about rejection. I don't have a place to talk about dying. I don't understand those, but I don't want to face it. And then we'll get to the very end, and I'll just wish, 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 hope, 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 that everything works out okay. And we got like nobody that we know where everything worked out okay. Life doesn't spin into an awesome position. 
Life's hard. People hurt. People are crying. Life's difficult. I have to tread lightly, even in a sermon like this, because I know that life hurts for all of us. But when you know Jesus, who suffered, Jesus, who was rejected, and Jesus, who died, and overcame it all with the resurrection, you have confidence. The message of Jesus creates confidence in us. If I suffer... I suffer in the hands of God, loving me, saying, Jesus already been there, he's done that. He will be with you in the suffering. If I'm rejected, if y'all don't like me, if the neighbors don't like me, if my kids don't like me, Jesus has been rejected. The chief priests, the elders, the scribes rejected him. If I die, and I'm going to, If you die, and you're going to, there's a way for you to be confident. Confident. The Bible says to die is gain. The Bible says death of a Christian is precious. You can be confident there. Why? Because Jesus' message is confidence. Try try it out. You're You're about to go on the holidays. You're about to see all your family members that are suffering. You're about to come face to face. Everybody's making terrible decisions and their lives are falling apart. You're about to face it. I am too. And they're not going to want to talk about suffering, rejection, or death because there's no category for them. It doesn't make sense. It hurts too much to face it. It hurts too much to face it. So we'll just keep ignoring it. And that's a good point. Where can we actually face it? I don't know, except in Jesus, who loves you and gets you past it, can say, I've dealt with it. You remember when Hebrews told us that he's been tempted in every single way that we have? And his suffering, his rejection, his death were real. And he overcame it all. And he begs us, come, come to me. And let me help you through it. If you're here today and you feel like you're suffering for any reason, or you're being rejected for any reason, or you are mindful that you're going to die, which we all should be, come to Jesus. Change right now. Let today, December the 4th, be the day you say life's about God from here on out. I want to honor him. I want this Christmas to be my best Christmas ever, not because I have any presents, but because of him and the confidence that he's got, and the confidence that I get from him. Number one, there's confidence in Jesus. Number two, there's confidence in Jesus' message. And then three, lastly, the error of confidence in ourselves. And, you know, some of these passages just preach themselves. Verse 32, he said this plainly, and here we go, Peter again, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you picture that? You ever been to a practice where a player called the coach over and chewed him out? It should make you laugh too, but I was about to say, you ever seen a kid try to chew out a parent? And we have, sadly. Sadly, we have. Can you picture Peter? Jesus, get over here. What are you doing talking to these people about rejection and suffering and death, man? You're the Savior. What do you, stop that. You know better than that, Jesus. Now get over there and keep doing all the good stuff. That's what he meant. That's what he was thinking. That is not church. That's not Christianity. People of Fairdale, don't let that be us. We are not God helps those who help themselves. We are not those just trying to be the best people we can be. We are people that need him to die for our wretched sins. My bad attitude, my lustful heart, my pride, my anger, my jealousy, my being judgmental, and every other thing you could put into the list of the filthy man that I am, y'all are too, and he must die for us, and we must come running back to him. God, save me. 
We don't know better than him. We are not more right than the scriptures. God is true. What he says is the answer, and we must embrace it. And stick your chest out or shake your head or read the books or listen to whoever else. You are wrong if you go against him. Look what happens. Peter pulls him aside and began to rebuke him. Verse 33, but turning and seeing his disciples... Jesus had the future, the rest, everybody else. Jesus had the church in mind. Jesus had the advancing of the truth in mind. Seeing them, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. This is not the way we think. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but you are focused on the things of man. And every single, listen to me, every single pushback, opposition, yet but that you will hear from everybody who doesn't want to follow the the crucified, risen Jesus will be focused on the things of man. Yeah, but I feel this way. Yeah, but I think this way. Yeah, but you don't know my story. And Jesus wants us to say God is bigger than all of our situations. He's been there before us. He's with us through it. Stick to God's great plan and love and goodness. He's a good God. He's a Father in heaven. And Peter pulls him aside and tries to rebuke him. Jesus sees the disciples and says, Satan, stop it. No matter what, we don't go against God. We don't know better. I know you think you feel better or you think you know best of all, but you don't. God does. How many times do the scriptures have to say it to us? I think of the big one from from Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Listen to these verses. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. If there's a place in your life where you're confused or it doesn't make sense, or you hurt or you don't understand, trust God. Seek him out. Do not try to change him. Peter tried to change him, and God rebuked him, calling him the devil. This is the guy who just said, you're the Savior. To which J.C. Ryle gives us three outstanding points of why Peter was wrong. Listen to this. This is really good. Write these down. Number one, Peter was ignorant. Ways that we... Uh, error in confidence. Number one, he was ignorant. He just didn't understand. You ever been caught in a conversation where you're talking about something and you realize that you didn't know what you're talking about? Uh, sorry. Sorry about that. I didn't, I didn't, I, 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 I heard y'all wrong. Sometimes we're just ignorant. I bet Peter, looking back now on this passage, thinks, I bet he asked God, could we leave that one out? It's so embarrassing how ignorant he was. The same passage where he pulls out the sword and cuts off his ear. Don't stop him from going to the cross, Peter. We need him to die for us. He was ignorant. He just didn't understand. Number one, his ignorance caused him to err. Number two, his self-conceit. He thought that he was right more than Jesus. He thought he knew better than Jesus, and so do we sometimes. You know what? When it comes to giving our money... Honoring God with our wealth? I mean, it's like clockwork. Do people say, I can't, you know, I got to do this with it. And God just says, honor me first. And some of y'all are are week after week thinking, I can't honor God with it. That'd be a bad move. I need to keep doing this. No, you can. You can honor God with your wealth the way God says to honor God with your wealth, and it'd be all good. In this passage... Peter pulls him aside. Peter pulls him aside and says, Stop doing that, Jesus. We don't like that talk. We don't like that death talk, that suffering talk. We don't like that. And I hear it all the time, too. I've been asked to do many funerals where they tell me to not talk about death. I've been asked to do lots of funerals they tell me not to talk about death. Talk about the elephant in the room. Sometimes we think we know better than God. That's what Peter did here, self-conceit. He pulled God aside and gave him a chewing. And then number three, and this is for all of us, he was wrong, but, but he had the best intentions. You know, he wasn't trying to mess things up. He thought he was helping. 
Peter thought he was helping the situation. He thought he was helping the disciples. He thought he was helping God. J.C. Ryle says, zeal and earnestness are no excuse for error. If you're wrong, you're wrong. Doesn't matter how well you intend to be. Especially when it comes to eternal judgment. Don't be wrong thinking that you meant well. He goes on to say, listen to this, a man may mean well and yet fall into tremendous mistakes. Isn't that true? You've got family members who are so, so sweet. You've got family members that you, you cry over because they're just such nice people, such good folks. But they're wrong in life. And you're not right. You're wrong too. I'm not saying that you're better than them. You're not. I hope I've always told you all that. You're not better than anybody. But the truth about God is to be understood. Don't be wrong about God. His message is spoken plainly. And there's confidence in him. There are, there's an error when we have confidence in ourselves we see it three ways here. The ignorance of Peter, the self-conceit of Peter, and the best intentions of Peter. But there is such confidence in Jesus and in his message. May you believe him today. May you realize that some things in life are too important to just ignore and neglect. And it's Christmas season. And we're growing up, aren't we? A little bit further from birth than we were yesterday. A little bit closer to death than we were yesterday. But there's a God that must die. And he did. For you. May you get your life right by turning to him. Let's pray. Father, Thank you so much for the clear teaching of Jesus. Thank you, God, that in the face of their good confession that Jesus is the Savior, Jesus had more to say, more to teach about his suffering, his rejection. God, I pray that we would be a church that's all about the Savior. But it's clear on who the Savior is. Oh, Lord, now lead us. Lead us now, God, to repentance, to respond. God, lead us to be a people who recognize the need for Jesus to die for us and know that that's where life is found. God, help us to not be like Peter. Help us to trust Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.